What happens in our time is not always up to us. That's Kronos. What we do with the time that is given, that is Kairos. And when we think about it, we realize that long before A Wrinkle in Time or The Lord of the Rings was written, there was another story, a true one, in which elements of Kronos and Kairos pervade the plot, and that, of course, is the Book of Esther. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 265, A Wrinkle in Jewish Time. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In the late 1950s, a woman moving to the Upper West Side of Manhattan decided to write a children's book and submitted it to every publisher she knew. It was turned down over 30 times, and looking back, it is easy to see why. No children's book like it had ever been written. This woman's name was Madeleine LaEngel. She was deeply religious and had been inspired by a book about Einstein that she had read on a family cross-country trip. Thus, the children's story that she wrote discussed concepts from math and physics, questions of time and dimensions, along with philosophical discussions of love, freedom, and the problem of evil, in language much more complex than, say, the Narnia books of C.S. Lewis. For some reason, Langle did not give up, believing that what she had created was not too complex for children, or rather, perhaps, that its complexity would speak precisely to its intended audience. As she later put it, quote, I started reading what Einstein wrote about time, and I used a lot of those principles to make a universe that was creative and yet believable, end quote. The book, published in 1962, became an enormous bestseller. It was called A Wrinkle in Time. And L'Engle's thoughts about time allow us to better understand a theme at the heart of the Book of Esther, which is time itself. After Mordechai learns of the decree against the Jews, he urges Esther to go into Ahasuerus' throne room and plead for mercy from the king. Esther is initially hesitant. Again, Esther spoke unto Hatach and gave him commandment unto Mordechai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordechai Esther's words. Then Mordechai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordechai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordechai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. As we will discuss in a later lecture, while Esther does indeed commit to seeing the king, she will not follow Mordechai's plan, but rather will devise one of her own, a better plan, through which her story will emerge as one of the great examples of statecraft in the Tanakh. But for now... Let us note the fascinating emphasis placed on time in Mordechai's speech, a speech that is for traditional Jews one of the most famous in the Bible. The key word here is time, or in Hebrew, eight. Mordechai warns Esther lest she hold her silence ba'et hazot at this time. And then he adds, miodea im la'et kazot, perhaps for this very time you have been raised to the throne. In pondering this, let us briefly summarize the plot of A Wrinkle in Time. The book centers on the Murray family, in which both the father and mother are physicists. 
as the book opens, the father has been missing for many years. All except the family have given up on his ever returning. The daughter of the family, Meg, and her brother Charles Wallace meet mysterious neighbors, three women by the names of Mrs. Who, Mrs. Witch, and Mrs. Watsit. These three women are shown to be celestial or angelic beings who have arrived to help save Meg's father. Mrs. Who, Mrs. Witch, and Mrs. Watsit reveal that Dr. Murray, Meg's father, had been working on a way of manipulating the space-time continuum called a tesseract, and that this had taken him beyond this universe to a totalitarian realm called Kamazots, which is dominated by the shadow, a way of speaking of the forces of evil at work in this universe, and that the time had come for them to use the Tesseract to go and rescue him. An image shown in the book to describe the Tesseract, which we have sent to you, remains one of the indelible images of my childhood. Readers of the book are shown a picture of a string held taut with an insect walking across it. They are then shown a picture of the two ends of the string being brought together so that the insect does not need to walk all the way across to get to where it is going. Meg is ultimately told that whereas Einstein spoke of time as the fourth dimension, quote, the fifth dimension is a tesseract. You add that to the other four dimensions and you can travel through space without having to go the long way around. In other words, to put it into Euclid or old-fashioned plane geometry, a straight line is not the shortest distance between two points, end quote. Now, Ladies and gentlemen, if you look online, you will see interviews with physicists who argue that there is a genuine reality to the concepts being discussed here. But that is not for me to decide. I can only approach this as an interesting children's book. What Langle means by a wrinkle in time is an aspect of time that could be manipulated. The angelic beings here have freedom to act within time itself. But that is only one theme to the book. In a wonderful article about a wrinkle in time, Caitlin Tier notes that for a book that is all about travel through time, about the flexibility of time, Another theme in A Wrinkle in Time is actually that there is a propitious time for doing certain things. Thus, as she points out at the beginning of the book, the time-traveling angelic beings that arrive to take the children to save their father say, it's getting near time, getting near time. And they later say that while they will help the children rescue their father, the time is not yet ripe. And then later at the right moment, they announce, it is time. The book, in other words, is not only about the flexibility of time, but also about finding the right time. And in understanding this, Caitlin Tier refers to the fact that while in English we have only one word for time, the Greeks had several. Chronos is one, which describes the marking of the quantitative passage of time. And another word is kairos, which describes the qualitative usage of the right moment in time. Tier writes as follows, quote, Quantum physics isn't the only discipline whose conception of time influences the novel. Langle's fascination with time pervades her fiction and nonfiction especially as concerns kairos, a conception from classical rhetoric meaning roughly to say or do the right thing at the right time. Both kairos and chronos are Greek words for time. Kairos, a term for which there is no English cognate, is usually defined in opposition to chronos, but simply chronos is time that could be objectively quantitatively measured. Kairos, on the other hand, is more subjective and qualitative. Sometimes theologians translate kairos as God's time. Langle seems to prefer the definition real time, end quote. Tier further quotes the philosopher Johnny Smith, who tells us that whereas Kronos refers to the measurement of the passage of time, quote, the other term, Kairos, points to a qualitative character of time, to the special position an event or action occupies in a series, to a season when something appropriately happens that cannot happen at any time, but only at that time, to a time that marks an opportunity which may not recur, end quote. Kronos, in other words, is the endless pervading flow of time. Kairos picks out the moments in time when we are given the freedom, if we so choose, to utilize a propitious moment in time to change the course of time. 
As Caitlin Tear further puts it, reflecting on this children's book, quote, these references to the ripeness of time and the propitious moment are examples of how the Mrs. W's work to cultivate a sense of kairos. They help the children judge the proper time to take rhetorical and ethical action against evil, end quote. This bears obvious relevance to our story in the book of Esther. But before we turn back to scripture, we should take note of the fact that this link between Kronos and Kairos appears in another fantasy book by a religious author, and that is in a wonderful line in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. The wizard Gandalf informs the hobbit Frodo that evil has once again risen in their realm, known as Middle-earth. Gandalf says, always after a defeat and a respite, the shadow takes another shape and grows again. And then the book continues, quote, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us, end quote. What happens in our time is not always up to us. That's Kronos. What we do with the time that is given, that is Kairos. And when we think about it, we realize that long before A Wrinkle in Time or The Lord of the Rings was written, there was another story, a true one, in which elements of Kronos and Kairos pervade the plot, and that, of course, is the Book of Esther. As we discussed yesterday in our contrast between Esther and Macbeth, at the heart of this biblical book is Esther's freedom in the face of Haman's pagan purported forces of fate. And while the fact of freedom is indeed central to the story, freedom here is itself complex. The very way in which the story unfolds shows how complicated it is, how Believing in human freedom does not mean that we believe we can always choose the setting in which we live our lives. In the case of Esther, evil had already presented itself. No choice was given to Esther as to whether that would occur. The question was, what would Esther do in response to the threat? Would she act heroically, engage in courageous, sacrificial action? And would the other Jews in Shushan join her, fasting and praying as per her instructions? This theme is also at the heart of the book of Esther. There are many elements in the story regarding which Mordechai and Esther had no choice whatsoever. They did not choose for Vashti to be removed, and they certainly did not choose for Esther to be taken to the palace during the search for Ahasuerus' new queen. But Esther did face a choice, given where she was in the place where Providence had placed her. Esther had to choose whether to risk herself for her people. This is exactly what Mordechai says to Esther. She did not seek to have history place the terrible task of serving as Israel's salvation. This is exactly what Mordechai says to Esther. She had not been asked to be placed in the palace, to have to face this choice. But that was not for her to decide. Mi odea, Mordechai says, im la'et kazot higat la'malchut. Perhaps for this very time you rose to the throne. All you have to choose, in other words, all you, Esther, have to decide, he is saying, is what to do with the time that is given you. And Esther did choose. Similarly, the Jews, later on in the story, on the 13th of Adar, will choose to fight, to battle against their enemies, to take a day set aside for a battle, and determine, by the force of their heroism, and through the help of God, that the battle would go their way. One theme of the Book of Esther, therefore, is not only freedom, but also what Rabbi Joseph Salavechik called shalichut, a Hebrew word which refers to being a messenger. In this context, it refers to mission or vocation the notion that God has certain roles in mind for us to play at moments in our lives, what I understand to be a parallel to Kairos. As Rasolovitchik once wrote, when we understand that each of us have a unique mission, quote, I also begin to comprehend the responsibility 
which my time experience entails, the norm of vigilance and alertness every moment, since the call comes through often, at very short intervals. I anticipate the future with trepidation and anxiety, because it is the time in which I may act and serve, end quote. There are moments in our lives when we ask ourselves, perhaps for this time we have reached this place in our lives, and then we may feel inspired by Esther to act wisely and courageously in choosing what to do with the time that is given us. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.